Empire of the Sun. Suns. Empire of the Suns. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Arizona Sports presents the Empire of the Suns podcast. Empire of the Suns. Hello there, and welcome to the Empire of the Suns podcast. My name is Kevin Olson, joined as always by Kevin Zerman. Kevin, I have been stopped on the street. People have been ringing on my doorbell nonstop since the return of Cats Talk. They can't get enough. Everyone's just saying, ditch the Suns, only talk about the Arizona Wildcats and potentially the best team in the country. I'm sorry, people. We have a job to do. We really do apologize for the overflowing demand. How are you, friend? Um, Many people are saying that Cat's Talk was a big hit, so um, I'm hearing the same things. But yeah, we will talk Suns, I guess, now, I guess. If it's not clear, we are being 100% sarcastic. A couple of people mentioned it, though, which is really nice to say, because again, if it wasn't clear, Kevin and I were doing that for ourselves entirely. And if anyone else wanted to listen to it, great. Uh, A couple people did. We appreciate that. That'll be back uh, next week after the Pac-12 tournament. We'll talk about how uh, the NCAA tournament's looking and all that stuff and a couple more episodes to come. But not today, Kevin. We've got enough to talk about. It is Wednesday afternoon. We're recording this uh, about three hours away from the Suns' second game of a back-to-back in Miami. Uh, Devin Booker is available today. He missed every game that we uh, that we have not talked about yet on the podcast. Uh, on Wednesday morning, I came in to shoot around. Uh, before the game against Portland and was told that he was in health and safety protocols. They go on to, I, I think if you just zoom out and look at it like this, Kevin, even if they beat three bad teams like the Trailblazers, Knicks, and Orlando, three and one over four games without Devin Booker is an, and Chris Paul, obviously, is a huge win. I told you before we recorded, I don't really know where to start exactly because there are a couple of different players we will talk about and we can start with, but uh, what stood out to you, I guess, the most from this four-game stretch? Because I'm not even sure myself, really, what I would say at first. Um, just to go back to our last podcast, which we were very like, don't press the panic button. Um, you could have pressed the panic button after Devin Booker went under protocols for four games. And like you just said, the record's 3-1. and one. Um, Arguably should have been beating the Bucks. It just those guys who got them last in the finals just didn't look like they were in the finals again, but yeah, I mean, nothing super surprising. Just the team got more reliant on using everyone. I think the wings have played really well. And, and one thing that I guess we should start with maybe is campaign comes back um, at the right time when, when book goes out and like, I, I think that was his best four game stretch all year, probably. Right. Like we talked about, he was struggling and he just like snapped back into last year's form almost. He did. And then some, I thought it was the best four game stretch of his regular season career with the Suns. You kind of have to include the game of his life in game two of the Western conference finals and give that first place votes for probably the rest of his life. Cause that's what the game of his life means. But to that point, this is not shade at point book or how it was going, but we kind of, we started to finally see um, some regular flow to the offense and just everyone kind of bouncing around in the same way. And it just seems like for whatever reason, Payne in this role, in this opportunity with a lot more minutes, just found his rhythm a lot more in terms of running the offense, finding his spots, the two man game with Aiden, things like that. And it just, 
really came together naturally for him. The stat that I had last night was that he had 44 total assists in the last four games. His previous high over his career across like a four-game stretch prior to this one was 28. So he, he's never really quite distributed like this in his career before. And for whatever reason, the light just turned on that we haven't seen on for the majority of the season. The crazy thing is, Kevin, in terms of shooting percentages, we're seeing the same thing. Over these four games, he's shooting 39%. 38.9 from three is good, but his two-point percentage has been fairly low. But with that in mind, we've seen a completely different player in my eyes, and he just really has found the rhythm. I think a couple of fans have been quick to quick to mention how He's had some mistakes in crunch time the last three games necessarily, but everyone is – I think this is something I want to get your thoughts on, Kevin, because uh, when we're talking about crunch time and crunch time execution, everyone is acting like this void that Chris and Devin have is replaceable. And what I mean by that is not what people think I mean by that. I'm not saying that everyone should come in and – and do it like Chris Paul and Devin Booker do it in terms of their efficiency, how great they are at it and so on. But to act like crunch time isn't a struggle for the majority of guards at, at campaigns level across the league is just kind of ridiculous. And you have to have realistic expectations like you and I said, and I thought for the most part during crunch time, he was pretty good. It's just, he made a bad decision here and there in terms of looking at where the defense was and making his decisions but overall, he's been fantastic, and we'll talk about Landry Shaman in a bit. But if just one of those two guys has kind of figured it out now and this is sustainable now for the rest of the regular season and the playoffs, this was a gigantic win for them that who knows if they would have gotten if either of those guys wouldn't have missed time. Yeah, I believe they call it silver linings. Um, yeah. Yeah, with, with Cam, I mean, lots of the mistakes aren't even – I don't even categorize some of them as like just not do amazing things like Chris Paul and Devin Booker. It's just like one of his, he had a line drive. Actually the Bucks game didn't have anyone in the paint. I don't think. And he just lost control of the ball. Um, he fell over, I think last night, um, just late in the game, bad late turnover didn't bite him. Um, but just stuff like that where it's you, you got to value the ball a little more, but I wouldn't categorize those as necessarily just like freezing up and not being in the moment and that kind of thing. So, um, but yeah, I, I think with him and Shannon, like this is such a good run for them, right? Because they're just forced to find confidence. Like Landry had no choice, but to chuck a bunch of shots and just, he looks I think Eddie Johnson mentioned it. Like he looks like a different player where, you know, instead of maybe hiding on the corner after he hits a couple of shots, he's flying um, around a screen on the arc and he's just running to the pass instead of, you know, being maybe timid off the ball, which I, you know, I don't really know as a non basketball player and a non like guy who's going to not run to the, go get the ball. And I do play pickup. Like, I don't know what that's like, but in the NBA, I'm sure that's a thing where you're not confident and you don't even hunt those opportunities. So I think that was an interesting part from, uh, again, I think it was Eddie who mentioned it. Yeah. That, were you talking about pain or Shamit there at the end? Shamit. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I totally, I totally agree that he just looks different. Um, there were still one or two of those possessions a game where, again, like the aggressiveness with the open floor, driving and getting within six to eight feet of the basket and then just dribbling it back out or passing it out. And then the possession's dead. 
that was still there a bit, but I'm bringing that up to say, if he's just a guy who's hitting his threes, then it's, it doesn't really matter a ton. It still matters a little bit for the flow of the offense, but if you're getting the type of shooter that we were talking about, which again, shot 39% in his first three seasons. And I've talked about this a lot with Cam Johnson and Devin Booker guys who have a reputation for being shooters rarely come into the league and actually have that in their back pocket because they're learning so much, but he had a really, he was, I I think my stat was like top 20 in the league. When you look at like the last three seasons combined and their three point percentages. So he had this huge reputation as a shooter and we just hadn't seen it um, consistently enough. And especially in like the month prior to the all-star break, we just barely saw it at all. Um, shooting 50% on his threes over these four games, 14 points per game. And I think the 14 points per game is the bigger number to me than anything, because if he's a guy that can just have little spurts like that every now and then, it really does change things for this group. Um, We would be remiss, Kevin, if we did not. And I I, I guess to kind of wrap on Shama before we move on somewhere else, I think that we'll see. We'll, We'll just see where it goes from here. I think that it's it's funny how guys don't get shot sometimes. And when we're talking about the fact that he takes one shot in 11 minutes, people are like, well, he's not getting the ball and all that kind of stuff. Well, the ball was finding him now, Kevin, when, when he was playing confident, the shots were going in. Like the ball finds you when you're playing with that level of confidence and that level of, I guess, just confidence again and just like belief. I don't know how else to say it. So it, it's it's going to keep finding him in those situations and, as long as he stays with that mindset. And we'll see how it develops now with Devin Booker back, uh, coming back out of the protocols today to play against Miami and see how it looks for him coming off the bench going forward. Uh, We need to talk about Cam Johnson, though, Kevin. Uh, That Knicks game was the craziest regular season game we've had in Phoenix so far this year. There have been ones that had more hype and had more sustained energy throughout the course of of the evening. But Cam Johnson gets into a little bit of a tussle with Julius Randle after Julius Randle. I don't really disagree with Cam and calling those cheap shots because Julius has like been defended. The possession's kind of over, and then he's just trying to create space in what Cam Johnson described as cheap. And I agree um, with those elbows that he got or shoulder, whatever it was, to his chest on two different occasions. He mentioned the play in New York where he got sent box to box, essentially across the key on, on a box out and he wasn't going to put up with it anymore uh, and just kind of gave him the same contact back on one plane for whatever reason, Kevin, it was the classic. I can do that. You can't do that reaction from Julius Randall. He lost his marbles and shoved him and cost the Knicks the game. Cam Johnson proceeded to score 21 of his 38 career points, career high points. His previous career high was 24 uh, in the fourth quarter and had the flamethrower. I would have to look at his previous career high on threes. I think Kevin was six. We had never seen like the super duper explosion from him that we were kind of expecting to see from him eventually. And that was finally it where just everything is going down. Uh, and, And the Knicks kept leaving him open too, Kevin. It was, it was a bizarre bizarre game and then he has to still hit a 31 foot bank shot at the buzzer for the Suns to win that game and complete the comeback um unreal scenes you've never seen a better performance fueled by rage before it was pretty incredible and he is legitimately turned the corner the the numbers that I've been looking at specifically for this team are since Christmas so we're talking about nearly 
Uh, it's in fact 34 games and in the 34 games they've played on Christmas. And since then, uh, Cam Johnson, 15 points per game, 15.1. Mikel Bridges, 14.8. Chris Paul, 15.6. DeAndre Ayton, 16.4. And Devin Booker, 27.6. That's that extra bit of offensive pop that we've been talking about for this team. And even going back to the trade deadline earlier or later than that, I should say, where we were talking about offense being more of a problem for this team than defense. Mikel and Cam scoring like this a lot more consistently over the last two months has really made a huge difference in the way that they're able to affect a game offensively. Yeah, I mean, with him, it's confidence too, but it's also, I think, finding the right rhythm within the game. Like we talked about at the beginning of the season, I think Monty told them to go try these new things and be open to having the green light to, you know, for Jay to hit floaters, um, for Cam to, you know, maybe look in the mid-range a little more. But I, I think right now, once they found their groove, through the season um, when they can fall back and start having more responsibility, then they're in a more natural rhythm than I guess at the beginning of the year, at least that's what it seems like. So when you look at how he's scored, like he also got to the foul line a bunch, he's been good doing that. Um, And Jay Crowder, I think we should mention too here because he is in that wing group, especially the last four games where they just clicked into this other gear, I guess. And have been looking really good, pretty efficient um, and and making this team really competitive. So that's another thing where we're looking at guys taking on more and, and just to get back to the point book stuff. um, I I think those guys looked good then too, before book was out, but just having campaign back has allowed them not to take on the things that are, again, way beyond what they're supposed to do, like the offensive initiating. I, I think Monty was trying to find like this, and it'll be interesting to see how he goes, how the Suns look going forward. But I think Monty was trying to find like, okay, we're going to play our best lineup with point book, but also I want to take some off of him. And it just put a little too much on those wings to initiate. But now you have campaign back. And I, I think you just have a lot more ability to, feature book playmaking more, but also to do a lot less as far as putting too much on the wings to initiate offense. So that's kind of what I'm looking at going forward. But again, like they've been in a groove as far as scoring themselves and having good looks themselves. Yeah. To to bounce off you, I think one of the main things I've learned from watching Monty's team and the way that they play is that something I kind of talk about and, and, and write about in certain circumstances is like when you have a four on three break in transition, if you just play aggressively, take one dribble inside the three point line and then figure out the one guy that's going to be open, just pass in the ball. That's all you have to do. It doesn't have to look pretty or amazing. You don't have to no look it. You don't have to throw it behind your back. It's just it, a lot of, a lot of offensive basketball can, can be simplified and doesn't have to be something where it's tremendously high skilled. And the reason that I say that Kevin is because cam is not the more skilled of the two. When we talk about him and Mikel, but over that stretch, he's averaging a little bit more uh, than him, like 0.3 points per game. But the fact that he's in there, yes, he's shooting the three more, but what he's kind of figured out, Kevin is I I hear um, I heard Zach Lowe talking about him, I think with Bill Simmons the other day, and was just talking about how he got a uh, Zach got a note from someone who was basically like, Oh, like Cam Johnson's going to take a leap this year. Like you'll, you need to like watch out for him and see like the scoring that's going to come from him. And this isn't some type of huge revolution for his game where he's like taking two dribble pull-ups and like all this kind of stuff. 
Cam has just kind of figured out how to use what he has to score and get to the rim. I think the one that he really likes, I pointed out a couple of weeks ago, was just like going left. Like he's just figuring out that he can go left and kind of finish with that left hand. He's always had really good touch around the rim. And he's just figuring out where in terms of his straight line drive bag, he can get buckets at the rim and, and get to the rim enough to draw fouls when it's there. And that's another thing where it's, it's kind of simple. Sometimes if you just know how to draw fouls and know how to react when the whistle is tight, like it was in that Knicks game. Uh, I believe when I looked, he had only taken one free throw in, in the first half and he took seven in the second half. So he adjusted to the way the game was being called, listened to the instructions from the coaching staff and got in there and knows how to draw contra- contact in place unafraid. And, and that's really been the most impressive thing to me about this stretch from him is that this has not been something where he is now just like crossing dudes up, facing dudes up. Like he did have that one disgusting three, which I think was his seventh where he just like, like has he faked to just for a second in the triple threat and then just pulled up in the dude's eye. He's rarely, rarely doing any of that kind of stuff. Like Mikel taking like those 12 to 14 really difficult fadeaways that he's got a knack for. There's nothing like that, but he's still a guy that can average 15 points per game because of his three point shooting being at the level and because he's found like a little bit of a, a niche in terms of when he can attack and, and going from there. Like the assist numbers, Kevin, just aren't really something that that's going crazy for him by any means. There's nothing kind of going crazy like that. Like his assist percentage last year was 8.2% at 7.5 right now. Um, he's always had the two dribble, make the right pass kind of move. Uh, and that's why they, I think that's part of why they liked him in the draft so much. So uh, all of that is to say, it, it, uh, some might interpret what I'm saying as a way to like discredit what he's doing, but it's actually the opposite. I'm crediting him for playing at this really high level and doing so in a rather like simplistic, I'm just going to be the basketball player who has a little bit extra savvy than everyone else. And has just figured out where he like needs to go to get his points. Yeah. Um, to, to stay on that kind of topic for a sec, uh, it, it's kind of like you wrote that really good story about Jay Crowder and his floater. And, and like he had that before in his game, but I think what, and Brett Burchard, who used to be the Northern Arizona Suns head coach, um, he was on the Suns staff also and dealt with them. Like he tweeted a few days or a week ago, like one of Monty's great things was like picking out one thing for a player and simplifying it and being like, hey, like you can just get add this one tiny thing to your game and within our environment of like how we operate and how our offense operates. Like if you add that, then you're going to be that much more effective and stuff like that. When you talk about Jay's floater, like just adding that, adding a new wrinkle to the offense um, is as simple as one player adding one tiny, like new shot or for Jay, it's not new, but it it's new for him on the Suns. So I think that's important when you look at like, again, with whatever Cam's limitations are, whatever Jay's limitations are, like Monty's so good at being like, oh, this will make our offense that much better. And when you say, okay, and Mikel added the midi, Cam adds, you know, a little straight line drive game, Jay adds the floater, suddenly all of your role players got you a lot better. And when you add that up, that's a lot. Yeah, that's the right way to phrase it. It is a lot, and it's kind of overwhelming for offenses to deal with if a certain amount of this translates. Uh, And and I think that's sort of as far as we can go in in the conversation. We're not going to make any grand proclamations here. 
that the Suns are now going to be a top three offense in the league and all this kind of stuff. We have to wait and see how it all comes together. But what we're trying to say is that this time has been extremely beneficial. It's, it's been a week, Kevin, but this has been an extremely beneficial week for Landry Shamit, for campaign, for Cameron Johnson, and for DeAndre Ayton too, um, Kevin, because him just being more prominent in the offense and then needing him more in the offense has had him sort of show off this little uh, life hack version of bas- basketball hack, Kevin, that he's figured out, which is, oh, uh, if you're in a drop or if you're just going to sit under the rim the whole time while I'm six feet away, I'm just going to take three steps to the left here, and now I can take that 14-footer I like all the time. Uh, and the important thing, Kevin, is that it's been going in a lot. That was a shot that was bizarrely to go back to the later sham at three point shooting thing and guys coming into the league Deandre's mid range jumper. Wasn't really that effective for his first, I think two years statistically after it was just a money shot at U of a, I think he shot like 65, 70% on at U of a, some ridiculous high number. I'm not sure what exactly it was, but now he's back to kind of finding that efficiency. And now he's using floaters. The number that I had after the Milwaukee game, I believe was that he was, he was 19 of 26, 19 of 27, one of those two, uh, on those shots that NBA.com site uh, labels as floating jump shot. And he had, I believe, 20-something total of those, like less than he did before uh, the previous year. He had way less. So he's added this new weapon to his offensive game, and it really helps because, Kevin, we talked about it's, it. We kind of drift the conversation away from him so much where – we talk about playing your role. He's he's really done well to play his role and understand his role. And we're still talking about a, a super-duper talented guy who was worthy of being the number one overall pick because of the talent that he has where he can just be like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to add like a 14-foot floater to my game as a center. <laughs> it's like, he's, he's just that type of guy. Yeah, and that's what's crazy because we always were like, okay, if he developed face-up, one-dribble, um, get to the hoop game or, you know, more dunking. Everyone wants that. But the, the floater is like an interesting thing that really fits how he plays. And especially like that, I think it was his last shot um, against the Magic where he had a bunch of big plays down the stretch just to steal that tight game. Um, he can get that off fast. And, you know, I, I almost thought like watching that play where Cam Payne, I believe, dished it to him like, whoa, he's passing that way too late in the shot clock to a big man. And like you always know when the shot clock's running around, running down, don't like give it to your center usually. But like D.A. handled that possession really well. And that floater allowed him to just like get it on the rim, you know, um, and, and maybe go get an offensive rebound if you don't make it. But that kind of stuff's interesting as well, just because obviously we're, we're talking about little additions to your game and he's really found that. I don't even know what you call it. It's between mid range and floater area because it's like almost there. There's like an eight to like 12 feet area that it's just like in no man's land, whether you take a jumper or floater, but he's really good right there right now because he's, you know, seven feet tall, I guess. You don't care about the rebounding stuff, right? I don't really care. Uh, so it, here, here's uh, all, sur- all surmise, all surmise. Uh, six or seven games after the All-Star break, whatever it was, single-digit rebounds for DeAndre. Yes, he was not rebounding the way that he should. Um, I thought that the time for the topic to come up was – it was bad timing because the Milwaukee game – I tweeted the stats at halftime yesterday at the Magic game. Milwaukee missed 40 shots. Uh, in the entire game, 
and they grabbed a certain amount of those misses for sure. And DeAndre only had eight rebounds. Uh, and then at the Knicks game was the, the type of inexcusable thing, right? Where he has three rebounds. I don't care if you're switched out on the point guard, every single possession, you need to have more than three rebounds. Yeah. Like a, that, that just can't happen. And the eye test matched the box score there. We talk about all the time is box score isn't indicative. And the three rebounds was very indicative. In fact, of the way that he was, engaged in that game Kevin there was one possession where it was on the sun's end of the hoop like they had they were the offensive team and there was like a foul call or an out of bounds play or something and I saw Mikel and Jay do the you know the 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 Twitter account where it's like people randomly in sync or whatever like yeah. their movements are they were in sync and like reacting to the foul call or whatever and then I looked at I like turned my head slightly to the right and DeAndre was like jogging back on defense already like not in tune with what was happening that the possession had and like play had stopped. And it's, it was one of those nights for him for sure. But to that point in the Milwaukee game, it's like they missed 40 shots. They grab a lot of those rebounds. Most of those aren't really on him. And then in the Orlando game, they missed 31 shots at halftime and he has 12 rebounds. And, and Orlando is not sending anyone to the offensive glass. Like if Bomber or Carter was under there, they would try and get it. And they did a couple of times, but they weren't sending extra bodies in there the way that Milwaukee did because Mike Budenholzer saw the finals like all of us. And he's like, yeah, I'm still going to send like two or three guys in there against you guys because you guys can't do anything about it. Um, and, and I guess it's I, I I'm rather indifferent on the whole thing. It's just the same conversation on him where he just needs to be more engaged consistently. But I guess the more interesting part to talk about, in my opinion, Kevin, if you want to get to your take on DeAndre too, go ahead. But do you think that this is actually a weakness of this team worth exploring their defensive rebounding? I, 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 don't, I don't like I said, I'm not really that interested either way, but um, um, I, I don't know. You could make the argument, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, I OK. Yeah, I agree with you on the DeAndre thing where he'll have a, a bad game not engaged. We've talked about that before and, and it's happening to the point now, not where it's so frequent as it was or long stretches. And I think we just expect that out of them now uh, for better or worse. As for the team, I think it's not a concern for me, but I think one interesting wrinkle is if they are switching a lot um or do they suddenly become a little more vulnerable? And, and I don't think it's necessarily even a weakness, but if you do match up against a certain team who's really good at rebounding, but also makes you want to switch more, can you rebound out of those switches? Because again, like I know DeAndre was at the heart of it a lot and he's seven feet tall and he should be crashing the glass if he's defending at the three-point line either way. But if you have Mikel Bridges having to keep boxing out Giannis like you're you're in trouble so I I don't know if Monty Williams and the staff are going to be like this is a huge problem but I think they're like detailed enough to be like when we switch we don't rebound as well and maybe it was a couple games stretch where we just saw a lot of it but that that's something to watch but I don't think it's like I mean look at this team they have that center depth for a reason they have guys who can board pretty well at power forward. Um, But yeah, it's more of like, do you switch more? Do you not switch? Does that have anything to do with whether you want to switch, I guess? We'll see. Uh, The other guys need to step up and box out more. It's pretty clear cut. 
DeAndre yes. even alluded to it at the end of his press conference. People would have freaked the hell out if they heard what he actually said. <laughs> and they would have thought that he was like calling out his teammates, which he lightly was, but he was also just saying it. And like, a he's just speaking the truth. And like, yeah, like when I'm switched out on the guys, like they need to box out better. Like it's, I can't be in there every time if we're going to keep switching. And his point was like, he said something along the lines of like, yeah, I'm switching it. It's working. Like, I'm going to keep doing this. Like you guys can't stop me when I'm out here defending like this. That's kind of what he was saying to paraphrase it. Um, so these next couple of games, Kevin, I think to kind of close out here, the, the, the afternoon for us on, on the podcast, Devin Booker's back, assuming he's starting. And yes, the starting lineup is different, um, but this is him and campaign together. This is the Booker plus reserves lineup that we talked about. Gosh, like second, third week of the season when these guys couldn't exactly, it might've been last year too, when we talked about that. I can't remember if this was last year or this year where me and you talked about on the podcast a couple weeks in like, Ooh, like the Booker plus Payne Johnson and this guy and that guy, like that could actually do some damage for real. I think it was those Dario minutes that we're talking about. Um, to, to that point, Payne and Booker can build up a lot of uh, chemistry over the next couple of weeks that they don't necessarily need to because they already had a certain amount that was good enough, but they can, this isn't just like a random group together, kind of like it was, um, not like it was before either, because Payne and Shaman played together off the bench um, as the reserve backcourt. And then when just about everyone checks out, when Chris Paul checks out with six minutes to go, campaign plays with Devin Booker for 10, 11 minutes a game. So this is really important for if campaign can continue the way that he's seeing the floor, the way that he's dishing out seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven 10, 11 assists a game. Can he still do that with this look? And it'll be interesting, Kevin, to see how much money leans back into point book. I suspect that point book will rear its head every now and then, not in terms of who's on the floor, but in terms of Devin running the offense while campaign is out there, it'll, it'll happen every now and then. But I think that Payne has proven that like he should be the point guard in, in, in that lineup. Yeah, I think that's just going to make everything easier, make it easier flow for money. Um, we haven't even talked about Aaron Holiday, who's played pretty well and basically is after not very long, <laughs> took that that backup point guard role. Um, obviously, the backup, the backup, I guess. But yeah, I think they have a lot of ways they can grow together right now. Um and like we talked about when Chris got hurt, there's just a lot of value that's going to come out of this. Um, and again, silver linings where you you lose your best player, arguably, but they're getting a lot out of their role players and finding out a lot about what they can and can't do. And, you know, 10 games down the road from now, um, I had not done the math, but they're going to have scouting reports on Cam and Mikel and Jay doing more. And then they will maybe find out more um, in the last however many games. And I'm not going to do the math, but there's just a lot of value in that. I think you worried about ASU tomorrow. Uh, are they, I, I'm like on a stream right now. Are they even going to win? Yeah. See, so, okay. Um, maybe cats talk. They're uh they're up like four or five points here with a minute to go. We should at least keep talking. So if they melt down live on the podcast, we can laugh. Um, I'm kidding. That would be a shame. I want to see that game and I want to see ASU succeed uh, to a certain extent that it does when the two teams are pitted against each other. However, Kevin, uh, I will root for my Arizona Wildcats. I don't, aren't they just under a team? We, we were talking about this in the office the other week. Aren't they under one of the teams we talked about with Coloco and Balo where 
they Gaffney weighs like 180. It's like they, they just don't have size. Like Graham is a five, quote unquote, you know, like they're just a team that can get bullied. But to that point, I always think that these games are rivalry games are always going to be weird. And the basketball, the basketball rivalry, specifically the men's basketball one to me is one of where the games are always weird. So I'm not ruling anything out. Like if ASU hits 14 threes and U of A just can't execute offensively against a good set defense, then yeah, they could lose. I mean, I'm not ruling it out. Apparently, a one point game with 37 seconds left. So, 14 1 run by Stanford. Wow. Look at that. Wow. It would be a shame. (laughs) I don't know. Should should we end the podcast and then go watch it ourselves, or should we live react to our Twitter timeline melting down if they do blow this? That's crazy. So, I mean, story of the game, they, they hit what? Like, I, I don't know how many threes they're up to right now. I'll go look right now. I thought that I think they were up to like 10 or 11 threes playing pretty well defensively. That's been like the turnaround for them. And what the, how many uh, of their last? So, seven Kevin, like six of eight, seven of eight, whatever they were winning. Yeah, they've hit 15 threes today. They're shooting 54% from three, and they're still only up one with 37 seconds left. Oh, so, yeah. Okay. I'm at the Stanford three. We can just ride this out, man. I don't care. People can click us off. There's a lot of ellipses and us in our work chat right now. That's fun. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> Let's just sign off, man. I don't know. Okay. I don't want to kill time for four minutes. We can just go watch it. Uh, I mean, hopefully they pull it out. That'll be way more fun to watch tomorrow than uh, Stanford because we'll just we'll just beat the crap out of Stanford. Like that, that'll just be boring. Yeah. You know, we want some entertainment. We want some fun in our lives. Hope you guys find the entertainment and fun in your lives too. We'll be back next week. See ya.